Hi listeners and welcome to Reasonable Unnecessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr. George Talaporis, and on today's episode, we're talking about how we can make the NDIS work better for everyone. To help us work through these issues, I'm pleased to welcome Kirsten Dean, Campaign Director of Every Saint Counts. Welcome, Kirsten. Thanks for having me, George. I'm really excited to have you on the program because you are effectively probably the most knowledgeable person when it comes to the NDIS and that you've been there from day one. Is that right? I think that's very kind of you to say, um, George. I have been doing this for a little while now. I think that would be the best way to describe it. I don't know that I'm the most knowledgeable person out there, but I have been doing it for a while. So for people who haven't heard about the Everything Counts campaign, and I don't think that there's that many people who haven't heard of it, can you just tell us about you and your involvement and what the campaign itself was all about. Yeah, so um, people might not know that actually the idea for the National Disability Insurance Scheme has actually been around for a really long time. It's actually been floating around um, since the 1970s Um, and there was a proposal for a scheme just like it um, sitting in the Senate when um, Whitlam was dismissed um, back in the 70s. So the idea of the National Disability Insurance Scheme has actually been around for ages but in its most recent incarnation, it kind of um, emerged around 2007, 2008, when um, it was one of the uh, what the, were called the big ideas that came out of the um, summit that Kevin Rudd had held at Parliament House. And around that time, there were a bunch of individuals and organisations who all started to meet, who all wanted to talk about this idea um, for an NDIS, but more importantly go, well, how could it go from just being a good, a good idea to how could it actually become a reality? Um, and so those individuals and organisations started to meet and say, look, you know, we think the NDIS is the way to go. We think this would really change things for people with disability and their families in this country. But it's so big and so complex and it's going to cost quite a lot of money. It won't get up um, without a fight. And so what can we all do um, to make sure it becomes a reality? So there were there were three um, big organisations in the sector at that time. Um, uh, the Australian Federation of Disability Organisations that represented people with disability, um, Carers Australia um, that represented families and carers, and then National Disability Services that represented specialist disability service providers. So they had all never worked before together. In fact, it's probably fair to say that there was a fair degree of um, antipathy um, between all of them. And so they started meeting and say, look, okay, we want, um, we all agree, there's lots of things we don't agree on, but we all agree on the NDIS. Um, What can we do to work together to make it happen? And then they went looking for other individuals and organisations who also wanted to work together to make the NDIS a a reality. So it was out of that that Every Australian Counts um, was born. And so Every Australian Counts formally started in um, 2011 um, and um, I was the Deputy Campaign Director at that 
at that time. And then um, basically from 2011 to 2013, um, Every Australian Counts was basically a really old-fashioned grassroots campaign movement that just went out um, and built all of the political and public support that led to the introduction of the NDIS in 2013. So for from um, an idea that had actually been floating around for a long time, the actual period where we were actually on the ground campaigning actually was was reasonably short. So to go from you know good idea in 2011 to actual reality in 2013 is actually a really you know it's a relatively short space of yeah time. And I remember the the meetings quite vividly where we all met up at um, Parkville and um, get together and talk about who we thought was most likely to get across the line and remember we had all the politicians and tried to work out who was supportive and who was almost there and and all that and 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 look to be honest even though it was um it was a very short amount of time in the scheme of things there was also a real feeling that this was a big fight ahead of us like i don't think we ever actually, well, for me and for the people that I was working with, we, we didn't actually think that we'd done it until Julie Dillard came up on that big screen at Federation Square with her announcement about the, um, the, the site or the launch sites as she um, described them. So it was actually a very exciting time because we, we were all not quite sure what was going to happen. Yeah, and I think I think there's a couple of things about it. The first is is that the um, the campaign itself was actually the end of years and years and years of hard fought advocacy by people with disability and their families for a better go for people with disability in their countries. So it was it would not have been successful if there hadn't have been years and years and years of very hard yards done by people with disability families, advocacy organisations to really advance the rights of people with disability in their country. So it would not have been successful if all of that work hadn't been done for years and years and years before. It was that evidence that we'd built up, you know, over the time and that the broken system, all that stuff that, you know, the productivity condition then was, yeah, and, and for me, the, the productivity condition report in 2011 really articulated the vision um, and, and it was a, an economic body that told us something that we already knew but did it in a way that was very convincing. Yeah, so what was really awesome about the Productivity Commission report was that you had all of these um, hard hard heads, all these sort of pointy bean counters at the Productivity Commission who made the economic case for why the NDIS was so important and, and so necessary. But what was extraordinary about the Productivity Commission is that um, they got more than a 1,000 submissions to their inquiry. Um, and many, many of those submissions were just ordinary people with disability, family members, people who'd never made a submission to a product to any kind of government inquiry before, but who wanted to explain why this was so important to them. And I think what that and that was the most submissions that the Productivity Commission had ever had to any other inquiry ever. Um, and what that did was um, it explained the social cost of not having 
an NDIS. It explained the impact on real people's lives. And so it gave the inquiry heart. And so you had, on the one hand, you had head with all the kind of, you know, hard head um, economic analysis, but you had heart from all of these stories from people with disability and their families about what was wrong with the current system and what they wanted to see change. And so I look back on that and report and say, if it had been one or the other, it wouldn't have worked. It was the bringing together of both of those things that made it so powerful. Absolutely. And the other thing is that it, it, I felt that the product of initial report gave us a new language that we could use. So we started talking about this as an investment. And I think that when we started, because um, obviously people with disabilities and families are going to want this, but that's not enough, right? You need the whole community to want it. And when we started saying that this is an investment in better outcomes in the long term, then that was the clincher. I think that's when, yeah, that's when we got the, the, the people who otherwise would be probably not that in favour to say, yeah, well, if it's going to yeah, bring more returns than costs, then then I thought that's when we, we were sort of much closer to winning the fight, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of reasons why um, uh, ultimately, we convinced the public and the politicians um, that the NDIS was was really necessary. And I think the first reason is that you're right, that we built not just a social case, but also an economic case. You know, it's something actually that doesn't get reported anymore, you know, because we're a few days down the track. But the Productivity Commission actually said it was going to cost more not to do this than to do it. Um, and it's funny from now, from the perspective of 2018, everybody seems to have forgotten that a bit when they talk about the costs of the NDIS, but the Productivity Commission said it was going to cost more not to do it than to do it. Um, and that, yes, it was an investment in people with disability and it would pay off in the long run, not just for those individuals but for the broader Australian community. So they really built that economic case. Um, but I think the other reason is, is that, that, that ultimately the campaign was successful was because Australians really, really believe in a fair go. You know, and so um, what what the campaign was able to do was um, it was just ordinary people with disability and their families telling their stories, telling their story about what their life was like now, but what it could be like under an NDIS that really um, brought that economic um, sort of uh, investment to light. Um, and so I think... The re ultimately the reason that we were successful um, and that we we got the NDIS is because people with disability and their families told their stories and they told their stories to anybody who would listen. They told them to family, they told them to friends, they told them to the community, they told them to media, they told them to politicians um, and it was those stories that brought that economic framework to light. Like the NDIS is a really big and complicated thing and it was really hard to get your head around. But what those stories did was explained to people what the impact was like on their daily life and what their life could really be like if they got proper support. And so I think, you know, ultimately the reason we were successful is yes, we were able to mount an economic case about why it was important, but we were also able to show the Australian public and Australian politicians what was going on in people's lives and how the NDIS would really make a difference. And I think it's those stories right. that really convinced the public and the politicians. It was those stories. I remember it was some of the and I don't have too much on the past, but I I think that some of the most convincing pieces of um, uh, of just things that were said were that um, 
2,000 weeks. And in the diet, when people were talking about that's not okay, um, when people were talking about the fact that, you know, they, they, if they had a car accident, that they got this level of support, but if they, their disability was a result of something else that they didn't and people thought, this is a fair and right thing to do. And, and, and there we are, you know, we sort of convinced people and both sides, well, all sides of, of politics. So we're, what, five years on now? Yeah, it's kind of eight years <laughs> on now. Yeah, nearly eight years on now. Um, we've got an NDIS. Yeah. So cheers for that, hey? Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, it's not, uh, so the, it it feels like such a long period of time for us, but it actually in sort of public policy terms and social policy terms, it's kind of a, a blink of an eye. But um, it is it is remarkable when you stop and think where we were and then where we've got to. There are lots of problems at, um, with the NDIS at the moment and I'm sure we're going to talk about those in a sec. But it is worth remembering going, um, this is an extraordinary economic and um, and social reform that we're introduced. It's not been done anywhere else in the world. There's bits and pieces of it that have been done elsewhere in the world, but nowhere has they pulled it together and then they're trying to do this. So the rest of the world are kind of watching us kind of going, how's this, how is this going? Because it hasn't been done anywhere else. So let's talk about today. Um, the annual report came out today um, by the NDIS, and I looked at the statistics. One of the statistics said that 88% of people who are in the scheme are either satisfied or very satisfied. To me, that's, that's pretty good. The other thing, though, that came out was only 71% of people understood what was in that plan. And I thought, that's a horrendous statistic. So what's going on? Yeah, I so... Um we're travelling around the country at the moment holding a um, series of forums that we're calling Make It Work. Um, and the purpose of the forums are to bring together people with disability, families, people who work in the sector and to look at what's happening, you know, five years on and go, well, what's working well and what do we want to see more of? But then perhaps more importantly, what's not working well and what do we want to see change? What are our priorities um, for change? Um, and one of the things that's really remarkable about the forums is that most of the time people come to the forums because things haven't gone well, you know, and they want a chance um, to talk about that and put forward their ideas for how to make it better, which is great. But but even at those, even when people tell, um, you know, stories about what's been difficult or what's been challenging or what's gone wrong, everybody always says, but I really want it to work, you know. I really still believe in it. I really think, um, you know, it's changed um, everyone's lives for the better, but there are all these problems with it. And it's really remarkable at the forums about how high support is for the scheme, despite the fact that, you know, there are lots and lots of things that are not going um, very well. Um, and when we do research out in the broader community, um, we also find that support for the NDIS is still really high. So um, so despite all the problems, everybody still um, wants it, yeah, wants it to work. And the thing that, that you know, that I, find, I find really, really um, challenging is that it's often not working for those people who need it to work the most. So the more complex people 
um, it seems like it, it's it's failing, particularly um, for people with health needs and um, and higher complexity needs around um, housing and support. But there there seem to be some issues with with that cohort. Um, but what what I'm what I'm thinking though is that we that you're absolutely right that we all want it to work and that we're not that far into it and it was a huge number of people that have come in in a very short amount of time. We're talking about 180,000 people into a government scheme in, in, a, in two years in some areas. So do you think part of the problems have been the, the sheer pace of bringing people in? Yeah, I think there's probably been um, uh, a few issues. One is is that um, uh, it, there is no blueprint for it. There isn't a map. So there, you're not copying this from anywhere else. And so um, everything that you come up against is a, is a new problem. Um, I think the other thing is, is that it is, a, it is a genuine startup. It's something new, but it's not a greenfield site. It has to work within existing systems. So that's always more complicated. You're not really, you are starting from something from scratch, but it's got to work with these existing systems. So that's complicated. Um, the third thing is, is that it is, um, it's a, um, for good and for ill, it is a genuine um, uh, partnership between the Commonwealth and the state and territory governments, and that has some advantages, but that has some real dis disadvantages, and that has further complicated things. Um, and then I think um, the fourth thing, and then we hear this all the time at the forums, is that it's really apparent that the National Disability Insurance Agency doesn't have all the resources it needs to do the job um, it's got to do. So it's a pretty remarkable thing when people with disability and their families turn around and go, hey, we think this government agency needs more resources. But that's what people say at the forums because they understand that all of the delays and all of the waiting and all of the waiting waiting, waiting, they attribute that back to there's not enough people um, at the NDIA and not the right resources to get the job kind of done. So I think there's a whole um, bunch of factors that all come together um, that mean that um, things aren't going. It is a really big undertaking and no one thought it was easy, but to be honest, it's been harder than it needed to be. So let's get specific. Um, let's say there are five things um, that were the big problems maybe four, whatever number you prefer, what are, what are they? What are the, the, the top four or five problems that you've seen in your travels? Yeah, so from the forums I would say that the top things are um, processes. The NDIS is too complicated, too bureaucratic, too over-engineered, too hard to navigate through when there's there's 50 steps for something instead of just a couple. So people find it too hard um, to navigate their way through. And when they talk to us, they want more help at every stage of the process before they come in, while they're going through planning and then getting their plan into action. Um, they're just finding it too hard to navigate. Um, their way through. The language used by the NDIA is still too complicated, too bureaucratic, too full of jargon. There's not enough stuff in simple, plain language that, that people can work, work with. Um, and people really believe that 
A, there are not enough staff and B, the staff that are there are not particularly well trained and don't necessarily have the right experience and expertise to work well with people um, with, with disability. Um, uh, and that as a result, people are not getting um, the plans, um, the stuff in their plans that they need. So they're getting stuff they don't need, um, but they're um, not getting stuff that they do need and there's no flexibility to move it around and work from them. So there's a whole bunch of what I call process issues which are really burning people's crumpets. Um, and it's really um, that quite, quite a lot of the frustration at the forums is about this issue, is about just how hard it is to move through um, every stage um, of, the, of the process. Um, and then there are um, then there are a bunch of things about how the NDIS does or doesn't work with other systems, particularly health, but also transport, you know, housing, justice, where um, everybody feels that they're getting caught in games between governments arguing about who's responsible for what and who's going to pay for what. And frankly, people with disability and their families don't care. They reckon they're just about time to get it sorted out because people feel that they're being caught in these games and they're not getting kind of what they need. So there's a bunch of process issues. There's a bunch of issues about um, how the scheme does or doesn't work um, with other systems. And then there's a, a bunch of things about um, whether people are really able to have choice and control, whether there really are the services and supports that people want and will work for them and whether they're able to find them and get them. And there's a bunch of stuff about, um, you know, uh, they call technically they call them thin markets, but it's really about are there enough services and supports out there for you to choose, um, choose from? And that might be a problem in a particular geography, a particular region, or it might be a problem with a particular type of support that you need. So you mentioned complex um, needs, but people talk about I've got funding in my plan, but I've got nowhere to spend it. And so, you know, in actual fact, it's, fair, it's all fairly academic. I've got no, I've got no choice. And then the final thing that doesn't come up in the forums is that, and that I worry a great deal about is the people who don't come to the forums. Because um, the people who tend to come to the forums are, um, are by definition, are kind of a bit more um, connected and have heard about the forums and, and able to get there and, and talk about their experiences. And so um, I'm really worried about the people that every Australian counts never hears from, you know, the people who have real complex needs, the people who don't have ha families to help them navigate the system, people who um, come from an Aboriginal or a Torres Strait Islander background, people who come from a culturally diverse background, um, uh, people, um, uh, yeah, and it, I worry about the people that I never hear from, <laughs> um, which is for whom the scheme is not working well. So if you talk to advocacy organisations, they are the very people who are not getting the outcomes we want to see out of the scheme. Absolutely. And the other, you know, what's clear from what you've said is that the, the problems that we're seeing are really around how the NDS is implementing it. It's the, the policy itself is, is a good policy, yeah, reasonable and necessary, social control, all these things are really good and they're fundamental to the legislation, but somehow when you involve governments and lots of them and they're all involved in implementing it, they start making out lots of rules and um, all sorts of hurdles that you need to get over and let's say lots of 
excuses. Um, and sometimes that's the problem, yeah? Yeah, and so that's that's what people say um, at the forum. So we held one in Geelong a couple of weeks ago and there was a couple of families there who um, there's one family in particular who was just so striking to me. They just they um, said, look, that the, um, the NDIS had really changed um, their son's life um, and they they were such a big supporters of the scheme. They'd taken, had to go to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal to get the right supports um, in the plan, but they were such a big supporters of the scheme because it had really changed um, his life and, and everyone the lives of everyone around him. And so I, I, for me that kind of summed it up, which is um, we all want this to work and the fundamentals are right. What we're not getting right is how it's being rolled out. Can I go to that um, question of the 71% who didn't understand their plans? What's going on there? I mean, I can sort of relate to this because um, I think that people uh, get this funding and get confused by lots of jargon words like, you know, support coordination, capacity building, um, core support, all these lots of words that that you need to learn in order to understand what's in your plan. And then, you know, consumables and what's a consumable and what's AT and we've always made up this whole language of NDIS where unless you know it, you kind of look at your plan and think, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, and I think that's right. And so what people say at the forums is that they really feel that they're on their own and that they're left to kind of navigate this whole bureaucratic kind of maze on on their own. And so they want more help both before they go in so they know what to expect when they're in there. They've had a chance to think what they're, you know, it's even a bizarre conversation to have just with somebody about, what, George, what are your goals and aspirations? Like how, how you know, it's a very odd conversation to have sitting in some government, you know, office somewhere. So they want more help before they go in so they know what to expect and they have a chance to think about um, what would what they need and what would really make a big difference to their life. Then once they're in there, they want that process to be easier and simpler um, and to be dealing either with a planner or a local air coordinator who they feel really understands disability um, and treats them with sort of empathy and respect and really listens to what they have to say. Um, and then on the other hand, when they get when they get through the other end and they get a plan, they want someone to help them put it into action. So at almost every single forum that we've held so far, one of the things that people have asked for is not just more help, but people reckon that it would be a good idea to get some, or everyone gets support coordination in their first year or two years because they just want somebody, once they get this piece of paper in their hand, to go, what's next? What am I going to do You know, next? And there's even really simple things like, the language in the plan doesn't match the language in the portal, which doesn't match the language in the price guide. So if you're trying to line up all your ducks, you know, all those things are called different things in each of those formats. So even a really simple change that could be done is make all those things line up. So if it's called something in your plan, make it call that in the portal and make it call in the price guide so you know, you know what you know where you're at. Because really people want to do the right thing, but it's at the moment it's too hard to work out what the you know what that uh should be so i think um that that what would be devastating after all of these years would be to get to the end um 
uh, of rollout and get everybody in the scheme and get everybody going and find that not much had changed. That for me, that's what worries me um, the most because we didn't just fight for the NDIS um, so that um, people could get um, appropriate support. We wanted that. We wanted people to get more support and we wanted people who never had support before to get it. Um, and that was an important part of it. Um, but we also wanted things to change. We wanted people to be included into their communities. We wanted them to have the chance to move out of home, to get a job, to do the stuff in the community they always wanted to do, um, to get out there and, and um, be part of things. Um, and so what would be devastating is if we go through all you know, go through all this whole process and get to the end of it and find, oh, well, yeah, people have got a bit more support and that's all really good, but nothing looks very much different, that would be ter that would be terrible. And that's the missed opportunity. And that's what also people say at the forums is like, yep, yeah, we've got to fix up all this process stuff, but we should never keep our eye um, off the, the bigger picture, which is what's the change we want to see and are we really getting there? And people are really worried about some of the crackdowns at the moment that actually we're going in the opposite direction and we're not getting the change that we want to see. And it's really around those outcomes around citizenship, community participation, socioeconomic involvement, all that all that stuff that was in the, the original report that we need to see outcomes um, in those areas. And we know that part of the problem is going to be um, people adapting to change, services evolving, services, you know, if people can have more funding, but if all the services are the same, then you just have more of the same, right? So it's really about the sector evolving as well, and 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 evolving in a way that it provides uh, the kind of support that we know is going to lead to better outcomes. So, and I think that will take a while. I don't think we'll we'll see that right away. And I think it's uh, it, it's it's realistic to say that this may be. Yeah, a 10, 20 year, um, yeah, process. Yeah, and I don't think anyone thought we were going to see that straight away, but what you've got to make sure is that you don't, you've got to be worried about inadvertent consequences. So you've got to make sure that when we're trying to fix up this process stuff and, and get the fundamentals right, that you're laying good foundations for the change you want to see in the field. You've got to make sure you're sowing good seeds. And I think what people are worried about now is that actually um, in 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 sort of clamping down on some things, we're going to get some perverse outcomes. And so that's not what we want to see. We, you know, we want more choice and control, more flexibility, more getting out and doing the stuff we want to do, not less. And when I see that there are certain disability services not coping under the NDS, I'm like, oh, well, maybe they shouldn't have survived after all. Like we, we want to see a transformation in supports and we want the fact that people have choice now that they can take their money that the money's attached to them that they'll take it to where they get outcomes and not where there just happens to be you know a free a spot that that was under the old system so i think the foundations are there um and it will take some time for for this to roll out and to and to start delivering on, on the promises we call it. 
Yeah, and I also think that so there's change that's got to happen on both sides, right? There's change on the side of providers um, uh, to not do the do things the way that they've always done them, but there's also change on on behalf of people with disability and their families. It's a really big deal to go from um, being told just be grateful for whatever you get to right, you're in the driver's seat now. You can dictate terms. You can say what it is you want, explain what it is you want, and then go out and find someone who who will do that for you it's a really really big it's a really big change in mindset and again um i think that we haven't invested enough in people with disability and their families to help them along with that with that journey there were people who were busting their boilers for the ndis to arrive and just um could it for them it couldn't come fast enough and they were off like there but for a whole bunch of people this has been really really hard and really difficult and we haven't invested in my view we haven't invested enough in them to help them make the most um, of it and we won't get the kind of change that we want to see on the provider end if we don't invest in people with disability and the, and their families um, and that's one of the things that I you know I really strongly believe that you know they talk a lot about the market but they focus a lot on the supply side whereas you know I'm really worried about making sure that we invest in the demand side so people really can be those really um bolshy well-informed articulate consumers who can go out there and get get what they want informed yeah informed consumers yeah yeah, 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 because that because that's what you're. But that's a really big deal from you know having waited for years on some state government waiting list and finally getting to the head of queue and saying, oh, well, this is all we've got, so this is all we can oh. offer you. It's a really big deal to go from that to kind of the NDIS, and we, and and that's why I think sometimes you know people aren't don't understand their plans, but also aren't using all their funding because it's just really overwhelming. This is a final note. We're coming out to the election. Um, what can people do? I mean, election time in the democracy is a time where you can sort of really have a say, right? Give yeah. any advice around what others could do around making sure that they we can make it work for people. Um. So we're um. So elections are a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because on the one hand, they are a really good opportunity to kind of bring up the issues that are really important you know, to you. On the other hand, they're very noisy, you know, um, and they're very highly contested spaces. So um, they, you know, they can work for you and they can also work a bit um, against you. So one of the things that we're doing with the forums is that um, uh, we invite local MPs along to every forum, um, both state um, and federal, um, because we want them to hear from the people who live in their electorate, their own local communities about what what's working well and what do we want to see more of, but also what needs to be fixed. Um, and so one of the things we do at the forum is that um, we talk about what the problems are, but then we also spend um, a, a good half an hour, three quarters an hour at the end of the forum talking about, well, what are the solutions? And we brainstorm the solutions. Um, and when we first started holding the forums, we were trying to come up with um, a top five solutions, you know, things that we wanted to see change. Um, our record is now 31. 31 um, things that people want to see um, changed with the NDIS and they're all really great practical um, eminently sensible workable ideas that people come up with and what we do is we say to the local MPs say here you know none of the problems that you've heard about today are not fixable and here like we, here's our ideas for kind of how to fix them and then we kind of 
you know, um, say, you know, go away. You go back to Canberra and, and you, you you make you be our champions, you make make this happen. And if the MPs can't make it along, we write up the forums and then we send it to them so they've still got a record of it. So even in the absence of um, an election, our focus really is keeping up the political pressure to get these problems sorted. Our first message is always we want the NDIS to work and here's the way that we think that it can can work, um, and so we'll be doing the same kind of thing in the in the lead up to the election, which is we all want it to work. Um, our very strong message is that we're really behind this, but we're five years into the scheme, and some of these things, it's time for some of this stuff to get sorted out. You know, that's a really good time to end on. <laughs> thanks, Kirsten. No worries. Thanks for having me, George. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our Facebook page, which is at Building Better Lives. You can find all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also really love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, stay well and reasonable.